by better, I mean more pleasurable. Is the goal for us to experience as much pleasure as we possibly can? Because, man, heroin seems like it would be amazing. Crystal meth, right? Like those things offer you a ton of pleasure in a moment. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey, it's great. Good morning. Hey, it was crazy getting in here today. So... I get it. Head nods all around. There's hundreds of people out there. There's still people on 84 right now. So it's crazy. And I just want to acknowledge that and just say, hey, we are trying to get our best and our brightest minds on what to do there. And, and I know everyone has an opinion and we are weeding through the opinions, seeing which one is of the Lord. So just, I just want to say that. Just, just know we are wrestling with that. Uh, I am at that age where I start to feel old. Um, I played basketball the other day for 15 minutes with my kids, and the next day uh, couldn't get out of bed, and I, was, I forgot. I was like, what is wrong with my leg right now, and why won't it work? And then I realized what had happened, and I'm starting to say things that I used to think old people say, like, what's up with this music? My kids are listening to, to songs, you know, and I'm like, who is this? And you cannot listen to them anymore, you know? I'm like, no, you guys stay away from the radio. And they're like, Dad, what's the radio, you know, and... And, uh, and so, they, you know, Nicki Minaj, Lil Uzi, right, Post Malone, Doja Cat, like, no, 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 that is not music, you know, and so I start to feel old, and uh, I'm like, no, a little while ago, this is, this is a little while ago, old news, but I was like, I'm going to introduce you to the greats, okay, I want you to hear real music, and so I introduced my kids to Garth Brooks, right, <laughs> yeah. So, like, hey, this is Garbrook, this is real music, and, and they're listening to it, and, and then this, you know, and they, they're vibing, they're like, man, we like this, and this song comes on, and it's epic, like thunder in the background, you know, and then the music comes in, and then it hit this climb, and the thunder rolls, and the lightning, dad's in the front, you're like, yeah, they're like, this is great, and, uh, and then they're like, dad, what's this song about? And I was like, yeah, what is this song about? <laughs> They're like, I know you didn't want us to listen to that other stuff because it was not good, but what's this one about? You know, and I was like, oh, I don't think you're old enough to know yet. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I said, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one day is what I told him. I said, I'll tell you one day. Well, this week was the day where I told them, and, and so I'll read the lyrics to you. It's 3.30 in the morning, not a soul in sight. The city's looking like a ghost town on a moonless summer night. Rain drops on the windshield. There's a storm moving in. And he's headed back from somewhere that he never should have been. Every light is burning in the house across town. She's pacing by the telephone in her faded flannel gown. Asking for a miracle. Hoping she's not right. Praying it's the weather that's kept him out all night. She's waiting by the window when he pulls into the drive. 
She rushes out to hold him, thankful he's alive. But on the wind and rain, a strange perfume blows, and the lightning flashes in her eyes, and he knows that she knows. It's the first time. It's the first time I've been able to get through it uh, without an emotional response, because that is a lot of heart in those lyrics. And so today, we are talking about adultery. And I define that as sex outside of the context, context of marriage. And I tried very hard not to teach this message. Uh, we gather as a team, communication team, every Monday. It is part of a track offered here at Harris Creek, an effort to raise up communicators and to send them in, in, into other churches. And so every week we write these messages together in the context of community. We all throw in. And, and on Monday of this week, it, it was the clear and obvious. We taught Proverbs 4 last week, 5, 6, and 7 all cover this topic of adultery. That's the clear and obvious next step. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, you know, it's, it's just relevant to a sliver of the audience. It's going to make them really, really uncomfortable. Uh, and a lot of people will just miss out on it, think, hey, it's not relevant to me. I don't need to listen. There's sixth graders here. I, I'm not sure I can appropriately tackle that topic, age appropriate, and, and all of these things. And so we wrote another message. We went, wisdom comes from the council of many. We, we put on there an idea, a subject, three points, some illustrations for me to think about and work with. And the Lord would not let me go. I continued to trip all week over this topic. And I sense the Holy Spirit want this for us. And so it's where we're going to go. If, if you uh, have a child with you and you're uncomfortable with that, I'm going to pray in just a minute and you'll have an opportunity to take them out there by what we call the library where those books, that wall of books on the wall, and uh, one of our staff members will help you find an appropriate place for them uh, to help you make that decision. I'll just let you know that my family's going to be in here today. Uh, my in-laws will be in here today. It'll be a great time. My, <laughs> my, my wife will be here today. And, and so that's my best effort to help you uh, make that decision. So let me pray right now, which is your cue if you choose to do that, and we'll dive in. God, we do just ask you to open our hearts to whatever you want to do right now. Somebody's just stricken with anxiety and fear and, and really building a wall between them and the work your Holy Spirit wants to do, which is no problem for you. No problem for you. But I just pray that you would protect us from the work the enemy wants to do in our hearts and our minds, um, that we would not write this off as irrelevant to us. It is relevant to every single person in the room. And so would you help us to know and understand that and uh, respond appropriately to that? In the name of Jesus, amen. In reality, this topic is 
relevant to everyone, especially if you have children, you, you want to teach them uh, a right understanding uh, of sex and intimacy and, and what God has for them, because if you don't, the world will. Uh, if you're married, you need to know there's going to be no limits to the attacks that your marriage will face uh, in this area. Uh, if you're single, there is certainly going to be a word of wisdom for you from the scriptures today. And then for those of us, I would just tell you, there are some indicators. You know, so much of ministry, you're going to hear me say all the time, so much of ministry is pattern recognition. And there are some indicators and some trends that will set someone up to be more likely to have an affair. Things like how they dealt with pornography, how they've dealt with sexual addiction prior to marriage. Did they do the work? Did they put into it? There's one that I want to put before you that I've noticed and other experts have noticed as a trend that makes you more susceptible, more vulnerable to affair. And it's this, it will never happen to me. I wouldn't do that. Uh, in fact, I heard a pastor say that I, in those words. It will never happen to me. And that is one of those things that make you more vulnerable. And the truth is, it's already happened to you. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, anyone who has looked at someone lustfully has already committed adultery in their hearts. So all of us, every one of us, needs to have some sort of heart surgery today, work that God wants us to do. And if you look at the Old Testament, the biggest metaphor that God uses for his followers uh, his people is adulterers. Like we have hearts that long for other things. That is the truth. We want to turn our back on our marriage to Jesus, our marriage to God, and we want to run to other lovers. And so I realize that for some of you, this will be the most um, uncomfortable sermon you've ever heard. And to others of you, uh, there will be a temptation to go back to memories that are so hurtful and so painful. And I am so sorry. I, I hate that. And I don't want, I'm not trying to blame God and say, oh, he made me teach it. I, I would just say as, as a pastor here at Harris Creek, I believe we need this message. That this is something that is attacking our church. And if you're here and you've been married for a long time, there's a temptation to say, oh, that's a, that's a young person's game. The biggest divorce rate or the demographic getting divorced the most right now in 2022 and 2023 is the demographic of 55 years of age and older. They are getting a divorce, they're getting divorces the most right now. And so I, I do want to put that in front of you. And then just in regards to us thinking that, hey, it's just relevant to a sliver of folks. Uh, the, the health center did a survey in 2021 that indicated that 46% of marriages confessed to an extramarital affair. 46%, almost half of marriages confessed to an extramarital affair, and I'm gaining clarity on why God would have this for us. I'll be in Proverbs chapter five, if you want to turn there. 
as we move through Proverbs chapter 5, we'll break it up into kind of three sections, your option for intimacy or sex, the trap of adultery, and then before you leave here this morning, how to escape the death that comes from adultery. Uh, Solomon wrote this, just as a reminder, we're moving through those lecturers. Um, this is one of those where a father is speaking this to his son, certainly with a, a masculine emphasis. And so you're going to see that he's talking to a son, and so that just happens to be how the text is handled in 5, 6, and Seven, but I'm going to do my best to make this relevant to both uh, men and women while staying and remaining true to the text. Solomon is writing this with generational sin in his rearview window and in front of him. You, you understand that Solomon's dad committed an, or had an affair. Uh, Uriah is at war. He, David is walking along the rooftops to see Bathsheba, uh, Uriah's wife, going through her menstrual cleansing. She's bathing. He sees her. And rather than being grateful for what her husband is doing in service, he takes her and he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And so he schemes to bring him back from war so others will think it's his. He, being a righteous man, does not sleep with her. And so David panics and has him killed, sends him to the front line of battle to be killed. That's Solomon's mom. That is Solomon's mama. And so David is faced with the consequences of adultery because we do not get away with sin ever. There's always consequences in our life. And so Solomon, that is the landscape with which Solomon writes these words. I'll start in verse 15. Again, I could have chosen chapter six, chapter seven. I thought these words, uh, these scriptures most kind of encapsulated the message of those three chapters. And it says this in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. The visual illustration is an opening. The physiological, anatomical metaphor is that of a female anatomy. That's the illustration obvious to the text. Verse 16. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Uh, another name for a prostitute is a street walker, someone that is moving through the streets looking for the next person to affirm them and uh, physically satisfy them. 17, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. The fountain, now a masculine metaphor for the male anatomy. And he says, may the wife, may you enjoy the wife of your youth. Here's what he's saying. He says, hey, remember when you two lovebirds said I do? Remember when you were there? You guys were crazy about each other. You stood up in front of everyone. You said, for richer or poorer in sickness and health until death, do us part. I commit my life to you. You guys were crazy. You could have chosen anyone in all of creation. Like you had options, and you said, you know what, I choose at this point in my life, I choose you, I want to be with you forever and ever and ever and ever until death do us part. He says, go back there and stay there. 
and only there. My first point is do not go outside your marriage. Do not go outside your marriage for intimacy that God invented sex as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his brilliant invention. He made the parts. He made them function the way they do. He put the nerve endings where he did. He made it feel the way he does. And he says it is only safe, the only place that you can enjoy this is in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And that is it. It's exclusive to that right there. In fact, the Holy Spirit would write through Paul later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And then he goes on to inspire these words in verse 9. He says, for it is better to marry, speaking to single people now, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, he could have put a lot in that blank. He could have said, for it is better to masturbate than to burn with passion. It is better to pleasure yourself and find release than to burn with passion. It is better to have some other kind of sex than to burn with passion. But he doesn't. He says, here's the two options. You have a desire and a drive, and the only place that you can satisfy that desire and that drive is in the context of a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And so you do not want to bring anyone else in your marriage. And this includes porn. This includes things you might read. This includes images you might take in through movies and videos like we talked about last week and In terms of guarding your heart, if you missed it, go back and listen. Certainly relevant to to this week in chapter 4, right before chapter 5. You don't want to go outside of your marriage for intimacy of any kind. And this includes pornography. He says in verse 16, Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water overflow in the public squares. When our kids were younger there was a park, and it was kind of the park of all parks. It was the park everybody went to. It was the, the Mother's Day Out Park. It was the, you know, the play date park. Uh, it was the one with the really, really big slides and the climbing wall and, and all the things, the big swings, the good swings. And so everybody would go to this park. Uh, it was always busy, always lots of people there. And in the middle of the park, there's a, a, a square post with a water fountain attached to it. Uh, This was a very public water fountain. This water fountain became a landing ground for lots of people used gum, you know. Uh, It became a place where you would water your pet. And and because it was right there in the public, it was the water fountain that every homeless person within a square, within five square miles would would find and and drink from. It It was that water fountain. And I remember sitting there on the bench, my kids playing, and I'm thinking, who would drink from that water fountain? Like, it's the water fountain that everybody drinks from, so nobody should drink from it. And this is the metaphor that this author uses to say, hey, listen, if you're married, God has given you a water bottle with your name on it. The, the, it's the Stanley Cup great water bottle, and it's yours. 
and you can drink from it, and you can drink from that one. And what we consistently do is we say, no, I don't want to drink from my God-given water, but I, want to go, where, I wonder where that park is JP talked about. Is that a water fountain in it? I'm going to go find that. I'm, I'm thirsty. That's what the cool kids, Gen Z, say. Oh, he's thirsty. You ever heard that? They thirsty. And they think they invented that. That's actually a couple thousand years old from Solomon. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're seeing here. You know? And let me tell you something. Some of you are bothered by that water fountain metaphor. Let me tell you something. Let me say something. Uh, I'm so humbled. I'm humbled to get to be your pastor. Um, I have not been. I have not withheld from you. Uh, the struggles, the very rough road that I've walked in terms of sexual addiction and the work that I've seen God do to heal my own heart and the temptations that still linger that I fight. And so I, I feel when we're talking about sexual sin in front of you with the mic strapped to my face, I feel like the chief of all sinners, the dirtiest water fountain in the room. But Jesus made me a new water fountain. That's the reality, man. Jesus cleaned up this water fountain, you know? And I'm not trying to say anything theologically inaccurate, and I'm not trying to overstate anything. I'm just telling you he made me new. Like, like there, there's still temptations. The enemy uh, still desires to take me out. My flesh is still there that wants to seek like a dog to his vomit the things that I drank from. But I stand before you a new water fountain. And I, I say that to you to offer you hope. This metaphor really moves throughout the scripture. He says this in Jeremiah 2. And, and again, the metaphor is for God's followers. He says, my people, this us, have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We are a people always looking for somewhere to drink. And there's going to be a time where you're really, really thirsty and you don't have a water bottle and there is something presented to you that says, here, drink from me and I want you to commit in your hearts right now that you would rather die of thirst than to take that in. Are you okay in the desert dying of thirst rather than drinking from a broken cistern? Verse 19. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That word intoxicated, it's the Hebrew word shagah, and it's really not interpreted intoxicated anywhere else that I've seen. And in fact, if you look it up, the number one uh, definition of that word is led astray. But a, a one that, that you might have in your scripture, your version of the Bible, is captivated. And I'm telling you that because you're going to see this same word again in the next line. My, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Again, that word intoxicated, shagal, it's captivated. And what he's saying, the reason he uses that word twice is he says, be captivated by this one that is yours, not that one that is not. It's the theme. Be captivated by this one. Not that one. 
there is going to be temptation for the rest of your lives, single or married, to think the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Man, their marriage, I mean, it just seems like they don't fight like we do. It seems like they get along better. They have common interests. They go on vacation and take these family pictures with the sun setting and they're all dressed the same. And it's like, when did she buy those outfits and how did they do that? And man, I want it that way. I want it that way. Why can't we be them? And I want you to know, fact of life, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where it's watered. And if you're in a marriage, like that's your marriage. And the only way your marriage is going to be a good marriage is if you work really hard on your marriage. And you get the help you need within your marriage. And, and marriage for everyone is hard. We had a marriage conference here this weekend. And that was a, a big permeating theme is, man, marriage is, is hard work for everyone. Don't be deceived to think that it's easy for someone. It's not. And the grass is not greener over there. Be captivated by the one you have. And that's what I would say, the second point. Be captivated by the one you have. And all my single friends say, well, I don't have one. <laughs> Who am I to be captivated by? You do have one. And so hear me out. Don't let me lose you on what I'm about to say because it's the most preacher thing I could possibly say. You have Jesus, right? Listen, hear me out. Marriage, any of your married friends are gonna tell you Marriage teaches you about sacrifice and submission. And that's true, it really does. And the scriptures tell us that. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3. Sacrifice and submission. Singleness teaches you about the supremacy of Christ. Now, if you just rolled your eyes or the eyes of your heart, listen. If you're like, oh, I'm at, I, yeah, I'm tired of learning that lesson. Consider heaven. I'm not sure you're gonna be crazy about heaven because heaven is one long lesson of us being married to Jesus and him being enough. Sufficiency, right? You're gonna be dead a whole lot longer than you're alive for your 70, 80 years on earth. And at some point in this journey, Jesus stopped being enough. And I'm telling you, he is enough. There, there's always, to my married friends, there's always going to be a temptation for you to be attracted to someone who does not have responsibility attached to them, okay? They don't have kids pulling on them all day long. They don't have the burden of work that they're gonna come home and complain to you too. You're gonna have an opportunity to segment off your relationship into some hotel room or Airbnb or the office or a work trip and you say, oh, it can, the, all of the responsibility can stay right here and we can just, just rob this of all the pleasure that we can get from it and none of the responsibility. That's always going to be really attractive. Listen, you cannot compete. Listen, listen. You cannot complete, compete with the pleasures that an affair offers. Do you know what's happening in the midst of an affair? There's, your, your endorphins shift into overdrive. Your pupils dilate, letting in everything that is around you, all of the feels. Um, your autonomic nervous system shifts into overdrive. There's fear mixed in with the pleasure, which heightens the pleasure. 
And I had a young friend say, hey, you make it sound better. <laughs> In some ways it is. That's the truth. In some ways it is better for about 32 seconds. And then reality sets in. And then you look up and you realize it's burned down everything that the Lord has worked to build in your life. By better, I mean more pleasurable. Is the goal for us to experience as much pleasure as we possibly can? Because man, heroin seems like it would be amazing. Crystal meth, right? Like those things offer you a ton of pleasure in a moment, but they want to rob you of your life. They want to steal from you an affair and pornography. It's a shortcut because God did make women to be captivated by us. And I, I understand there's all kinds of confusion around roles today and, and that there are exceptions to the generalities and the stereotypes, but the truth is God did make men and women different. And a marriage's work, and specifically in the context of sexual intimacy, it is work and it's slow, and it is a long, slow pursuit and pornography doesn't ask any of that for you, from you. No, 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 no. He or she, they don't even know you. They are there and available to you with the click of a button. Say, I am here for your taking. Drink from me. But on the back end, they seek to take everything from you. That's the reality. See that same fear factor, that, that same endorphins, the same autonomic nervous system in overdrive. It's there with pornography too because you, you begin to look over your shoulder. You, you think, hey, who's there? I'm not supposed to be doing this. And that I'm not supposed to be doing this, blended in with it feels good, makes it feel even better. And then what happens is you mistake it for love. <laughs> oh man I'm so tired I'm so tired of someone telling me but you don't understand I love them <laughs> okay I don't understand. May I write the script? Because I've been here a couple hundred times. Can, can I tell you? This is how you feel, and this is what they said, and this is what you did, and these are all the things stirring in your heart and mind to think, you know what? It didn't work out with this one, but it's really going to work out this one. And this thing that we built on complete and total selfishness, like what you do in those situations is you begin to follow your feelings. How do I feel? That's what got you there in the first place. Well, it felt good. It must not be wrong. See, on the back end of that, that, that affair, you're like, whoa, that 32 seconds is over with. You're like, whoa, that was wrong, but it felt really, really right. And the feelings that it's really, really right tricks you into thinking, man, this must be really, really right. And Satan loves that so much. Gosh, he wants to have a heyday with you in that it feels really, really right. There's a lot of things that feel really, really right that you're not supposed to do. Well, if God didn't want me to do it, why would he make me feel this way? Because of Genesis chapter 3. 
There's all kinds of things that you feel to be right, but in the way it leads to death. Proverbs says that twice. There is a way that seems right to someone, but in the end it leads to death. Stay away from the death that is there. And pornography, it is a slippery slope of destruction because you experience a drug and then you want to go and you get high on that drug and then you want to go back and you want to get that same high but you need to use more of that drug. And so now I need to go down this pathway that is dark and I'm not going to be explicit here in my explanation. Just trust me. It is a dark, spiraling staircase that leads to hell. It is dark. And you keep trying to get that same high, and so you've got to take more of that drug. Last week in the service, uh, toward the end of the service, there was a disruption, if you were here. Um, someone had a, a seizure or passed out. Uh, it's called a vasovagal syncope practiced saying that, so I'd say it correctly. Uh, it's a type of seizure caused by anxiety. Here's what was going on. They were visiting from out of town, from Belton, um, looking for churches, visited here, background of pornography, uh, felt a conviction in the message. I began to talk about some shows that, that I watched. Uh, he had watched the same show, and, um, and with his wife sitting beside him, he began to feel anxious, and the Holy Spirit. And I share that with you, with his permission, with their permission, mutual permission. I said, tell them. I said, why would they want you to share that with us? Because the heart that's well is the heart that tells. Because the heart that is well is the heart that tells. When you get to a place where you're like, I don't care who knows. I want to take my story and I want to share it with others. That's real healing. That's real freedom. When you sit in this place and you've been saying in your head, I'm not going to do it. He's not going to convince me. He's not going to convince me to tell anyone. He's not going to convince me to tell anyone. You're going to leave a prisoner. You are going to leave a prisoner. Captivated. But you know what they said? You know what she said? She said, I've, I, I've felt so loved, not just by the, the medical volunteers, not just by the doctors who responded to care for my husband, but by the pastors who came around us and helped us deal with the real issue. In one day, I felt so loved. We found our church. That's what she said. We found our church. And so if you're in Belton looking for a community group, I've got two people trying to find one there that they would love to to jump in with you and they are, they are healthy. They are on a path, a fast track to, to health. I know there's all kinds of situations here. I know there's you know, wives who desire sex more than their husbands and, and, and I, I get all of you know, the exceptions that you might sit in and we see that a lot, but I just wanna encourage both of you to be captivated by the one you have. And if you don't have someone, be captivated by Jesus. And it's not a Band-Aid. It's, it's a real, truthful, truth-filled prescription.
adultery and pornography or traps disguised as shortcuts. You'll get stuck there. And it's never been to anyone in the history of the world. It's never been worth it. Verse 21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. When we look over our shoulder, is anybody seeing? I'm, oh, I'm here. On, anybody see? It's, it's actually an activity of doubt because God always sees you. He sees everything that you do. And, and in fact, I'm reading this book right now, and there's a chapter on pastors uh, who have had affairs. And I'm, you know, of course, I'm reading that, and I'm like, hey, how do I avoid that outcome at all costs? I'm, I'm looking for the common thread, and the common thread in all of them is secrecy. Like a, a private life, a, an extra phone, an email on another server that somebody can't see. Like some, this part of my life, I don't, I, under the banner of confidentiality, you understand what I do. Listen, I've forfeited a right to privacy. I, I've forfeited right now, I mean before now, but I have forfeited a right to privacy. I, I, don't, I don't want any area of my life that you can't see because if it's there, I will be tempted to put something there that's going to drag me down. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die. Led astray by their own great folly. It's like we're sneaking around in a cage at the zoo where all of the angels and God himself sees everything we do in that cage at the zoo. Number three, it says, for lack of discipline, they will die. Uh, discipline yourself to escape death. Discipline yourself to escape death. You have to fill your heart with the truth because Satan is a liar and he's always gonna present a, a lie to you. If you're here and you're not married, certainly there's temptations to have sex outside of marriage Pornography outside of marriage. And I, I want you to know there's really only one reason that someone would have sex outside of marriage. It's because they don't value the covenant of marriage. And anyone that will have sex outside of marriage is communicating something really clearly and really plainly. I am willing to go outside of marriage for sex. That's what they're saying. And so don't be surprised when that happens because they're trying to tell you that really plainly. Listen, there's the marriage covenant. I don't value the marriage covenant. I'm not gonna wait for the marriage covenant. I'm going to do what I wanna do. I follow my emotions. That's what you need to know about me. I do what my emotions tell me to do, what my feelings tell me to do. I, I wanna follow them. And, and so if I'm willing to not hold sex in that place where God says it's reserved for it, I'm telling you, I'm willing to go outside of that for intimacy, and there's only one reason that someone will do that, it's because they don't fear God. The reason I had sex prior to me being married was because I, don't, or I didn't fear God. I didn't fear God, and it's crazy. It is crazy. When Monica and I got married, 
18 years ago, we lived in her, moved into her little apartment and she went out of town for a weekend to see a friend and I had a friend coming through town from college, a buddy from college, and so he says, hey, do you wanna grab dinner? And so he and I went to dinner, we're catching up over chips and queso, having a great time. My wife's out, my new wife is out of town, and this woman walked up to us, and, and she was perfect, physically beautiful. Everything was in the right place, beautiful. And so I just assumed she's, coming up to my friend because he's got a lot going for him. And she turns to me and says, can I buy you a drink? And I look at him and I start to laugh because I'm thinking like, is this a joke? Like am I being punked right now? You know, Ashton Kutcher's gonna jump out of the bushes or something and, and, and she doesn't laugh and I look and I can see she's sincere and I say, oh, I'm married. Like that. And she says, well, is she here? Because I don't care. And in that moment, it felt like I got struck by lightning. I was terrified and excited all at the same time. And I'm a new Christian. Like I barely know anything, but I know my wife's out of town and I, my brain for a minute begins to scheme around, okay, how do I get us away from him so that he and I need to, what is that gonna look like? I need to get her number and I'm sitting there in the situation and I hardly know any Bible, but I know Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Somebody has said, hey, you should, you're starting to read a Bible. Read, the, read a proverb a day. On the first, read one. On the second, read two. There's 31 chapters. And I knew Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And the only thing, the saving grace in that situation was I looked at that woman and I thought, oh, she hates me. She doesn't love me. She wants my wife to hate me. And she wants my in-laws to hate me. And she wants my parents to hate me. And she wants my unborn children to hate me. For, for just, you know, a few minutes of ecstasy, she wants to take my life and burn it to the ground. That thought was God's saving grace in a moment. Right? This doesn't go anywhere good. It's going, it may feel really good. It's going to be so exciting. And then who's going to be left to pick up the carnage, to put together the destruction? You have to decide right now. Are you ever willing to go outside of your marriage? Because you will have an opportunity. And it's going to be attractive. And if you have gone outside your marriage, it will never be in your entire life easier to bring that to the light than right now. And the enemy's going to say, you can't do that. And I'm telling you, you can do that. And we will come around you as a church. And we will help you. And we will support you. And we will do all we can to help you save your marriage and pick up the pieces. And it's not, it's a lie that it's easier by keeping that in the dark. It's a lie. And so in summary, don't go outside your marriage. Be captivated by who you have. And discipline yourself to escape death. One of the reasons that I felt 
I think one of the things God used to say, hey, you've got to teach that is just then on Tuesday, I go to staff prayer, and I'm just looking around the room and, and seeing how many people on our staff have been impacted by this, either their parents or firsthand, their own situation, or a dear friend, like just on our staff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know? And, and, and so there, then one person just shares their story. And so then the next day, I just said, hey, would you be willing to share that in front of the church? And so would you listen to my friend Meredith's story? Chris and I met in college at Texas A&M, got married in 1995. He went to med school during those early years of our marriage, but in 1998, Chris was working crazy amount of hours. He was like over 100 hours a week. And I began a sales job and was assigned a mentor um, to help teach and train me in my position. and. Um, it was a young single guy, about the same age that I was at the time. Very quickly, it, we forged a friendship that Chris was aware of um, and knew about, but before I knew it, um, I found myself in a place of committing adultery um, and doing something that I thought I would never do. Initially, I told Chris that it was only emotional adultery. Um, I was in a situation where I felt like I needed to say something, but I didn't want to tell him the whole truth because I was fearful of the consequences. I, as a believer, did feel shame and regret for what I had done. I knew it was wrong, and I was wrestling through that because I was really um, very quickly entangled in my sin. At the end of 1999, I told Chris the whole truth and that my adultery was in fact physical as well and you know he responded to me um, that day with forgiveness he would tell you um, that that process of forgiveness really just began that day but for sure each of us coming to each other you know looking to the Lord and and saying, God, what do you have for us in this? How, how are we supposed to respond as believers in Jesus? Community played a huge role in um, how we were able to walk forward. This season of our life is 25 years ago. We never wanna go back there. And part of that is having people in our lives that know the miracle of the story is that you know, God did heal. Um, we celebrate 28 years of marriage this year. We have four incredible daughters that he's given us. He's recreated our marriage. He redeemed not just me and not just Chris, but who we are together. I think what I would say to those people that are hearing my story today, some for the first time, is that if you've experienced adultery um, in your marriage or if you know someone that has walked through that, that you would hear a story of redemption um, and that healing is possible. Um, I think for those of you who are currently maybe considering it 
we're walking through adultery and no one knows, um, hear me say that you need to tell someone because what you're experiencing, that's not God's best for you. And that's certainly not God's best for your spouse. For some of us, the part that we'll play in this journey is forgiveness. And it's difficult and it's an opportunity to live out the gospel, to understand that what God has done for us and um, in allowing his son to die, to win us back into a marriage and raising him from the dead in the same spirit that defeated death there is the one that's readily available to us as followers of Jesus, believers upon Jesus. And again, we want to help you if that's something we can do. I love that Meredith and Chris, her husband, taught at our marriage conference this past weekend. It's just what God does. That's the restoration that is available, that kind of restoration that is available to anyone who says, I am willing to walk a path of repentance. Yours may look different, but there's always hope. There is always hope available to you. God, would you just help us in this calm before worship? Would you search our hearts and root out the ways that we have been adulterous towards you? Show us our sin and help us to forsake it. Would you deafen the lies? Would you deafen us to the lies of Satan? demons that tell us we can't and help us to be emboldened by your Holy Spirit who does not give us a spirit of timidity but one of power and love and the discipline to avoid the death that comes from sin would you root your word and hope deep in our hearts in the name of Jesus Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.